0: Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. We're back today with another edition of Roll On, my home slice and trusty hype man, Adam Skolnick, riding sidecar as usual. Minds will be expanded, souls will be soothed. But first, let's take care of business. We're brought to you today by On. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce Adam Skolnick, are you ready?
1: It doesn't matter if I'm ready, I'm here.
0: You are and it's happening. We are back with a hotly awaited new edition of Roll On wherein Mr. Skolnick and I blather and pontificate on matters <laughs> that sounds both <laughs> pertinent and possibly irrelevant depending upon your mindset I guess. We get to. Good news and bad, a little show and tell. We answer some listener questions from our voicemail. Yes. Uh, If you're interested in having your question fielded by us, ring us up at 424-235-4626. Quick reminder before we get into it, if you enjoy all the free content that we diligently toil here to create, it would be very meaningful if you could take a second to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy the audio incarnation of the show, leave us a comment, share the show with your friends or on social media. Also uh, another reminder that we recently created a clips channel on YouTube. So if you're into sampling the show or wanna indulge in just the nuggets, including we put up uh, discrete short videos of all the questions that we get mm-hmm. and answer. So you can find those there. Um, we drop those videos uh, pretty much every day. So check it out, link in the show notes and in the description below on YouTube, or you can just search Rich Roll Podcast Clips on YouTube. Also, uh, voicing change update. This is the podcast coffee table book that we created. Some of you might know that we ran out of stock just before Christmas, right in the midst of the gifting season. <laughs> That's we suddenly great timing. didn't have uh, enough to ship. Uh, much to the chagrin of people who are looking to gift this. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a great gift. That is one of the lessons learned when you're self-publishing, how many books do you order? Uh, But we have re-upped and the new stockpile is en route and should be... Here in the next couple days, so we'll be shipping in the next week. Second Uh, printing, second printing. That's right. And you were
1: you were just uh, signing a bunch of other books this weekend, right? I saw on your Instagram.
0: Yeah, the cookbooks. The cookbooks. So how many printings have you done of that? um, I mean, well, those are with major publishers, so it's different. Okay. Uh, They always seem to have stock on hand. Okay. Um, Yeah, we were signing those. We we offer signed copies of all our books: Plant Power Way, Plant Power Way Italia. Cheese is Nuts, Finding Ultra. You can get signed version of those through my website, richroll.com. And Voicing Change, you can learn more about and grab your signed or unsigned version of that book at richroll.com slash VC.
1: I owe uh, my wife a subscription to Julie's Cheese Shreemu? yeah, you owe it to her. I I've told oh, her you I was going to buy. Her? I promised her, and I haven't signed up yet. Have
0: Have you guys tried it yet? No. Oh, you haven't. No. Oh, remind me to bring a couple of wheels next time. Okay. You should at least try it. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic.
1: No, I know she wants she's it. That's the one thing right she now, misses the most.
0: Growing this company, she's got a lot of excitement around what she's doing. A lot of momentum, so it's pretty cool. It is cool.
1: Yeah. Is she going to be in retailers at some stage? soon? Um,
0: well, you can get it at Air one right now. Okay. Um, That's the only retailer. She just did a kind of um, collaboration with a um, monthly wine subscription service where they kind of combined a package, but it's mostly a direct-to-consumer subscription box model. There'll be some retail outlets at some point to be determined, but the focus of what she's trying to build is that direct-to-consumer model. It's
1: a great model, Yeah, Cool. cool. So good to see you. Good to see it's you. Been brother. two weeks since we did this. How's it going? It's going good. Yeah, life is good. Just been busy and uh, we're deep, we're doing brewery in my house. Oh, so, you
0: are? Yeah. It's always brewery at my
1: house. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm not sober, but- uh, You picked uh, the shortest month of the year to do it. That shows how not sober I am. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: How's it going? We're on it's day going good.
1: 15. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I'm not I don't we don't indulge too much although the uh you know just a a cocktail or a glass of wine here or there. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's a big lifestyle change for me. Right. Um but uh it is like empty calories change, which is nice. So I, f- I do feel like I've gotten a little bit lighter.
0: Well, this uh, fits nicely into this fitness challenge that you've brought upon yourself. So let's talk about that. Let's do that. How do you wanna talk about it? Well, Tell me what you're working towards right here and we'll dive into it.
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, I don't feel like I'm necessarily, was necessarily working towards it, but we know David Goggins is doing his four by four by 48. I don't know if you you listeners have not seen go on his Instagram. It's a challenge he does once a year. It's from March 5th to March 7th, starts at 8 p.m. on a Friday ends the last run, I believe is 4 p.m. Sunday or 8 p.m. Sunday, I forget how it works. Um, But every four hours from 8 p.m. Friday to till it ends on Sunday for 48 hours, you you run four miles. And so at the end of that two day period, you've run 48 miles. Mm -hmm. And so I saw it happen last year. I was not gonna get involved in that. I think we had just done um, Otillo and I just, I wasn't gonna do it this year. I've done a lot more running, and I decided I thought I would do it, and then I kind of casually mentioned to David, and he he basically locked it down, and so I'm doing it. And um and uh you know the way I talk about it is I'm not try, I don't say I'm trying to do it, I say I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, um, you can't just casually mention it to David like I'm thinking about doing. like no. you know if you do that, like he's gonna. I think hold I'm, you I think I would wa- I
1: want to do this. So yeah. um so I so far haven't been training in any specific way. Um. The last month I ran 110 miles. So this month, you know, it's been about 25 mile weeks basically for right. me, um, just in general. Uh, and I feel like I'm capable of doing it. I don't know. I mean, my weeks, the way they work is there's typically a longer run on a Sunday mm-hmm. and, you know, four to five mile runs, some of them with intervals, some of them just zone two during the week. Um, so I, I think I plan on adding a little mileage uh, going leading up, maybe doing a ten, couple of 10 mile runs and stuff like that. But we had talked about something. So I, I, want, I want Rich's training
0: plan. Well, first of all, you you are working with a coach, right? Yeah. This Envol guy. Oh, yes,
1: yeah. so I'm working with- um, The Nicol- swim run champion. Yes, the swim run champ- champion um, who owns Envol. Uh, and let me make sure I have his name correct before I. Screw up. You don't know the full no, name I know my, I, don't, I call this him Nicolas. This
0: shows me, this is telling me a lot. That's called a character reveal. <laughs> is it really? I just know, <laughs> now I know how deeply emotionally invested you are in this.
1: Wait, I wasn't ready. Nicholas Ramirez. Okay. Um, and he's French actually and lives in Sweden and he's he's been talking to me about, he has not come back with a training plan yet for this. He's just okay. been giving me like runs to do and, and showed up in my Garmin mm-hmm. and I do them. And he so far has not been like personally coaching me hardcore on anything. Cause I don't have anything on the calendar. I told him about this. He has not given me anything specific other than just say, the main thing is, in most people want to lay on the couch after you do the 4 miles because you think you need a lot of rest but he's saying don't do that don't let your legs get heavy mm-hmm. make sure you're not doing that mm. and so um he's told me that david gave me some advice on nutrition like he you know what he does anyway smoothie you know before you run um you know then meals after you run kind mm-hmm. of thing to make sure and making sure you get ahead of your nutrition you have right. stuff prepared ahead of time um the second day he says is very exhausting so Uh, You know, that's when people like take more naps on the second day of it, right? Right. Meaning, I guess Saturday to the Sunday. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just. I am kind of winging it, like I do, like I did Attila. I Kind right. of wing. I kind You're of. You're kind of like.
0: Well, I'm kind of
1: doing it. this, but you I am clearly, kind of there's no, it. there's
0: no succinct plan in
1: place right now. You know, so I have lots I, of. Thoughts I winged about my. This. I've winged my whole career, and it's right. working out okay. Right, but what, Adam?
0: <laughs> yes. What are you capable of if you actually formulated a plan, like had right? like a like five year plan? That's that's the growth opportunity here. It is. Well, there's lots of growth opportunities here. I mean, a, f- right. a few thoughts. I got okay. plenty to say about but this. So I think what's great about talking about this is that we can talk in a more meta global way about the power of endurance and endurance challenges and, and talk a little bit more at length about how you plan for approach and participate in challenges like this, which I think is something that a lot of the people who are watching or listening, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about as well. Yeah. So I think it's a good opportunity to do that. First, um, I love this challenge. For lots of reasons, Um, not the least of which is, you know, it's it's led by you know uh, by Commandant David Goggins, right? So he's he 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 will hold you to account, and you know, I love how in the little sign up area it's like cost zero dollars,
1: yeah, you know, (laughs) yes,
0: like this is all about you and you, but but also this sense that like David is is peering at you from on high and is not going to let you get away with anything, which I think you know, engenders a lot of excitement and. And
1: he checks in before each run right? with a motivational. It's a, it's a
0: social media driven thing it with is. a lot of engagement on his behalf.
1: And, but he also, you can sign up on his website to specifically get involved in it. You can raise money for a charity through it, but you don't have to sign up. He's like, it doesn't matter if you sign up. That's the whole point. Like you could do it your way. Right, it's not about that. Yeah.
0: The second thing is uh, that I love about this is that It's hard, but it's also accessible. Like Mm. it's very hard, but also it's extremely doable. It's similar to the 29029 thing. Like, oh, what do you just, you just hike up this mountain and you take the chairlift down. Like it doesn't seem that hard but because you're trying to achieve the elevation of Everest, like you're going through the night and and you know like it's not until you're like two thirds of the way into yeah. it that people realize like, oh, this is harder than I imagined. And I think yeah. this is similar in that regard. You're essentially running an ultra with breaks. Right. It's a 48 mile run that is like an interval workout yeah. on some level, um, but... Because it's only four miles at a time, it just feels doable. Like yeah. how hard is that? I go I've run four miles, like I can wrap my head around. That's that.
1: exactly how I got suckered into right. this. Right.
0: <laughs> but I also think that it's worth taking seriously and looking at it as an opportunity to more deeply connect with yourself as an athlete. Yeah. And to figure out like how you approach these things. Um and I think so. When is this? In early March?
1: It's March fifth. March fifth. So so my overall plan, by the way, the reason I'm doing any of this is because I am an older dad, right? Mm-hmm. And my plan is just to is to, you know, train for that, like to stay around and stay right. and and stay active and be able to chase him down and not like have my late game fatherhood impact him in any way that's like gonna, he's going to even notice. Uh, it's a
0: highly laudable goal. Yeah, like that should be the goal.
1: Yeah. for you. That's my. It's goal. a great
0: goal. Um, There's only so much that we can do at this point, given that this challenge is only three weeks away. So it's not like you've got six months to prepare for this thing. You've done what you've done leading up to it. You've put in some miles, so you're comfortable running distances, but you've never done anything that involves sleep deprivation or anything that involves this number of miles in such a compressed period of time. And so when I think about how you can best um, prepare yourself for this, there's a couple things. First of all, nothing about this involves speed or power. This is all about resilience and persistent motion. You don't need to go out and do intervals. You don't need to run any faster than a conversational pace. And I would go so far as to suggest that a great method to start to rehearse is a walk run method going into this. And you know, for people that are runners, talking about walking feels like a weakness, but when you do it properly, implementing a strategic walk run strategy into your training and your participation in the event will actually provide dividends beyond what you can imagine. Because if you're training your walk, you can actually walk faster than a jog, Hmm. like over time. Hmm. And it provides your heart and your lungs, the ability to get these mini recoveries within the runs. So I would suggest to you that the overarching kind of philosophy right now should be, how do I get my body ready to be in a state of persistent motion when it's very fatigued? So that means that you don't need to go out and do 12 or 15 mile runs. You're better off going out for maybe an eight mile run where every, every mile or half mile you walk for five minutes. And the idea is getting through all of these workouts, feeling fresh, and then perhaps Having days where you're doing short runs, um, and I use the term "run," you know, very broadly. Like these can be very easy runs, light jogs, but you're doing two or three throughout the day. So you're getting, you're acclimating your body to kind of always being moving. Okay. And it has nothing to do with being fast or being winded or anything like that. It's really about can you keep moving forward when you're tired. Which so brings how many, up of how course, many days
1: a week. Should I do that this weekend, next week? A well, I think days? you know.
0: In a broader context, I would approach this from a perspective of of creating a periodized training program where you're building your base, then you're building strength, then you're, you know, getting a little bit of power. You're having easy weeks, and then you're having harder weeks, and then you enter into the phase where you're really getting race specific, and you're doing periodic simulation days, which I think you can still do, and we can talk about, which is where you kind of um, mimic the actual event. Like in some four two-mile runs, way. then four so three-mile like, runs. Yeah, like like when I was training for Ultraman, like two months out, um, I picked three days or my coach Chris and I picked, You know, okay, this week on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're gonna do 70% of the Ultraman event. And then we're gonna have kind of a rest week. And then we're gonna build up towards over the next couple of weeks to a second race simulation weekend, where we're gonna do 80% of the distance. We're gonna repeat that, have a rest week, and then build up again, and then do 90% of it. And that serves um, many masters. First of all, it's, it's, it's giving your body a sense of what this endeavor is gonna look like and feel like. And also from a mental perspective, once you complete those simulation weekends, you're like, oh, I can, I, now I can wrap my head around this crazy thing that I never thought I could do before. Mm. In your case, I would say we're three weeks out, so maybe you can do pick two or three um, sim days between now and the event, where you do you know, 60% of the four by four by 48, where you're running like two miles every four hours for you know, 24 hours or something like that. Um, And you're like, okay, I did that. And then maybe probably just, you were only three weeks out. So I would suggest maybe two sim days. And then a second one where you do three miles, but maybe you do it every three hours for 24 hours. Like, I I don't think there's a lot of benefit beyond um, the mental component of this. To beating yourself up too much between now and then, you've kind right. of done the work. Like right. w- the work that you've done to date is pretty much going to dictate how uh, y- y- you can't cram for an endurance race. Right. Is the point. So there's only so much you can do now, and the worst thing that you want uh, is to be tired on the day that the event starts. You want to be as fresh as possible. So making yeah. sure that you're, you know, for seven to ten days before this, you're you're really keeping it light. I think is going to be super important. And I don't know that there is any real benefit to subjecting yourself to uh, sleep deprivation, which you're already experiencing because you
1: have a baby. Yes. I have uh, a baby that now has just popped his second tooth <laughs> yeah, and has learned yeah, to corkscrew and so is you're pl- already
0: crib. not sleeping. So no. But those
1: the, you the know when you thing, have that's to wake, gonna,
0: I think when that's you wake up in me. the middle of the night and you got to put the baby back yeah. down, you might as well go out the door and run three miles before you go back to bed. Like that would be a cool experience just for mental resiliency yeah. to like be like, oh it's three in the morning and I went out for a run. Well,
1: let me I, like, I actually think Zuma is gonna help me with this because I have been going on on fumes for a while mm-hmm. sleep wise. And when I was reporting on the K2 thing, I had me, I had uh, two or three days in a row where I was up at four in the morning to like talk to Pakistan. And it was so easy because I've been getting up you, you, at you, that you, hour. Right, like that's right, one of right. his hours that he gets up. Right. And so I've been getting up at that hour and I was able to do it. And so I think, um I do think that's gonna help me. In yeah, some I think way. that
0: that's a mental hump yeah. in the sense that you you go through a training regimen to prepare your body. So your body you know is prepared for the physical mm-hmm. endeavor that you're doing, but interjecting sleep deprivation into your training program doesn't create the same benefit, at least in my experience. It's not like, like oh, I did all this sleep deprivation training, so now, uh, sleep deprivation is not a problem for me. There's something right. about sleep deprivation that it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna. It's no matter how problem. much you you yeah. you've experienced that, it's still very hard. Yeah. And for me, like in my own experience, that's that's the hardest thing. Like I, you know, when I did the Epic Five, like the sleep deprivation component of it was really the most challenging for me personally. Um, so I don't know how much benefit you get from subjecting yourself to that unnecessarily, other than like I said, like the the mental um, strength that you garner from having weathered that. Uh, So this is gonna be like three weeks is a tricky time because you wanna get some interesting training in that's gonna get your head and your body right, but you can't do too much because you don't wanna be tired. And I think that you could wake up tomorrow and do this. Like, I don't know that you need to, uh, because I do think this is this is mostly a mental thing. You for somebody, my, you put it. You, you ran hundred miles last month. Yeah. So you know you have some fitness with running. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that you need to be that fit to do this because you could literally walk all of these four miles right. for this whole thing and still get it done. Yeah. Um, it's really a mental thing, and I, I think it's interesting. That the first run starts at like what, like four p.m. or something no, like that. No, eight p.m. 8 oh, p.m. Okay. So, what's Cool about that is that you're gonna go through the evening and sleep deprivation aspect of this on the front end of yeah. the experience like if it if the first run was at eight o'clock in the morning then you're dealing with the nighttime and all of that when you're much more fatigued yeah so I think that was smart that he set it up that way yeah and that caters to you know new people who haven't done and anything it caters like to the nine
1: before. to fivers mostly yeah exactly yeah. so yeah.
0: that they can do it and still you know be in their job or whatever yeah so I think that's cool I think uh you know in a broader sense, talking about endurance, true endurance, you know everybody knows who's listened to this show that I'm a giant proponent of zone two training um and I think what you get with that it's it's really to to really be effective with this zone two philosophy you have to play the long game it's not something that you can develop um, in a short period of time it, literally to to reach your kind of Potential and capacity with that philosophy. It takes it takes a couple of years. Like you can't. I was even wondering do it in a because
1: because I'm like at 11:20 a mile now right. with my zone two, and it started at like 12:15, and I'm like, this is why people burn like, out on it because like, they get like, frustrated. When they, am I going to get They just want to
0: feel yeah, they just want to feel yeah. fast, so they yeah. abandon it, you know, before they get the benefit of it, which is why it's a very particular type of discipline, the kind of discipline that requires you to hold back. And so some you think people, like,
1: excuse me, you think like in another year that 1115 could be 1030 or something like that.
0: I can guarantee you that, that it would be at least that, but okay. it requires very strict adherence and it demands consistency. Like you can't you can't train three days a week in zone two and expect to get a great return. It's only when you're doing it day in, day out, day in, day out, because the whole idea is you're not really wearing yourself out so that you can get up and do it again the next day. So is it five, d- day, five days a week day. okay? yeah and you know that what that program would look like wouldn't mean that you're running every single day, but there would be some multi sport activity that would contribute to you developing that endurance capacity, which then in turn creates greater mitochondrial density and your ability for your cells to produce energy at a lower like burn rate and it 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 helps enhance your body's ability to um like utilize and metabolize oxygen for fuel and fat for fuel, all of these things that contribute to true endurance so that this is something that Chris would always say to me, when you're truly, truly fit in an endurance context and I look at your Garmin data and I look at your heart rate graph, it should be flat all the way across. Like if you're doing a 10 mile run, like how how straight can you make that heart rate graph line such that it's wavering as little as possible. And he would say to me, I shouldn't be able to tell whether you're running uphill, flat or downhill Hmm. because that heart rate should always be the same. And when you have that zone two fitness, let's say you're running on a flat and your heart rates 142, you should be able to start climbing that grade, maintain that 142 heart rate. You're gonna slow down a little bit but the idea is keeping that heart rate as flat as possible, like right on point. For me, it would be like 142, for somebody else it's gonna be somebody else. Okay. And to maintain that on a descent as well. And when you have this, then when you get into some speed work and some tempo work, you can dial it up like, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna run 20 minutes at zone two, and then I'm gonna do a round of intervals where I run you know, two minutes at, a 160 heart rate and then bring it back down for a minute and then go back up again. When you're really fit in an endurance context, you can ramp up for that tempo effort and then your heart rate will quickly settle back down into that zone two range. When you don't have that true endurance fitness, it's gonna take a long time for that heart rate to come back down. And that's how I can like just internally, just being connected to my body when I know, I'm not fit or yeah, I'm in a I'm in a really good fitness place right now. But it is playing the long game, you know, and yeah. it and it, it does require a certain kind of discipline and an unbelievable amount of consistency uh to get there and adherence to a well-thought out, periodized schedule. Like ideally, when you're gonna tackle a big challenge, something that intimidates you, that scares you, um, something that is outside of your comfort zone that you've never done before, you do want to pick. A date on the calendar that is you know six to eight months out, and then you can really um create and craft a program that will maximize uh your physical potential and what you can achieve in that in that specific period of
1: time like a like a longer swim run or something like that
0: yeah if you were yeah. gonna if you were gonna do a full Otillo right you know the seventy kilometer right. or something like that like do you have a year to plan? Well, if we have a year, like we can really, you know, get get into the details of it, and if you take it seriously and prioritize it, then I think you know people are always amazed at what they can accomplish.
1: I think uh, so. My strategy, I do, I do have a course kind of in mind, and there's a little gradual, I mean, you would you would call it flat, but there's a gradual uphill and a gradual downhill just in the streets all around me. Mm-hmm. So I thought like when I get tired, I could walk the uphill and then jog the downhill and walk the uphill and jog the downhill as my kind of safe
0: yeah, you you told me about this the other day, yeah, you and hate I thought that, idea. that was you know ill advised. <laughs> I I think that you you do have access to some pretty flat terrain around yeah. your house. We talked about specifically no, but what that a, that it's, course it's, would be, but right. I would just keep it as flat and as simple as possible. Like, okay. there's no need to add a complexifier into this with all kinds of different grades and try to figure that out. Um, I would just I would keep
1: it on the flats. Well, these are flat. Like I said, you'd call it flat, but like those streets have like a little bit uptick, like you you gain like 50 feet one way and mm. you lose 50 feet the other way. But what is
0: your thinking in, in terms of why that would be advantageous? Well, for just you.
1: running them regularly because it's become like the pandemic run because when it, when you couldn't go on, on the bike path and you, everyone was like clogging all these streets. So right. these, these are very wide streets that you can get away from people. So it became like, Close and, by and would that be
0: the course that you would use yeah. for the event yes. itself? Yes, yes. I don't think that's smart. Because the downhills you think you're resting, but those can be like especially late in the game, those are treacherous. Like it's the downhills that can beat you up just as much as the ascents. Okay. And I think you would just be better off keeping it really simple and on the flats and when and, and you build in these like walk periods and you pace yourself out and understand that, you know whatever four mile leg that you're on, it's not about that four mile leg, it's about the four mile leg that you're gonna be tackling six hours later. Okay. So you're in a state of constant motion, but also constant um, conservation, right? You're always thinking about what's coming several hours later. Um, you're mindful of what you're doing in the moment, but it's all about like, how can I there's a there's an equation that you have to run. Like what is the minimal amount of output in this moment so that I'm not spending too much time on this four mile leg because the more time it takes you to do that, the less rest you're getting, right? Right. But you don't want to overextend yourself because you're gonna, you know, meet the reaper six hours later and crash and burn. So constant um, conservation trying to be as efficient as possible. yeah, And that's why I think the walk run method can be super beneficial. So because if mile, you start building, like, I would say like, you know, like it does, this doesn't have to be for all your, your runs leading up to this, but if you start practicing doing these intervals where, yeah, I'm gonna run for a mile and then I'm gonna walk for 30 seconds or something like that and then run. And when you're walking, be mindful of how you're walking. Like you can, Train your walk such that the walk can be almost as fast as your jog and you're, you're not using nearly as much energy mm. and, and your lungs and your heart get a chance to rest, but it's something that you train like anything else. So I think um, paying attention to that will be huge for you getting into this.
1: I've been doing those, t- like, like I said, these intervals where it's 30, 60, 90 seconds, two minutes up to five minutes um, at a tempo. And then Mm -hmm. uh, either a back to zone two or a walk. And this is stuff that uh, Nicola has sent me. Mm -hmm. And I do like those. And there's always a 15 to 20 minute zone two warm up and a 10 minute zone two cool down on the end. Right. Do you think that that is helpful with zone two development? I think
0: it's fine in the broader context of developing you as an athlete and as a runner. But with respect to this, event. I don't know that doing tempo runs at this point 3 weeks out is going to is going to benefit you in any meaningful way. Okay. And in fact, it could just wear you out and make you tired. And I, I don't want you tired going into this. Yeah. So, there's that aspect to it. Let's spend a few minutes talking about food and and fueling strategies. Okay. I think David's advice is solid and very good in that before you run, you wanna be intaking calories that are easily metabolized and are not gonna cause stomach upset or require all your blood to go to your gut. When you right. have to go out and run, that right. would be bad. You get that food coma and you get lethargic and it's very difficult to move. So smoothies in the period leading up to a run and then getting you know more bulk calories, you know, maybe 30 minutes after you finish your run, I think is a good strategy. And I also like what he said, and I believe this wholeheartedly that when you're fueling, you're you're not fueling for that next four miles. You're fueling for the, the four mile interval that's coming six hours later. You're always thinking about getting ahead on your nutrition. When you're gonna be, you're looking at 48 miles of running. So chances are you're gonna be running a caloric deficit no matter what, no matter how many calories you put in, you're probably gonna end up burning more than you eat. Maybe not, depending upon the athlete. But given that, you wanna be ahead on your calories. So it's not about that four, like I just said, I'm repeating myself, but this is the point that I wanna make. The instinct will occur like, I'm not hungry, I feel good, like I feel light. I don't wanna feel heavy when I go on and do this four mile run, so I'll just eat later or I'll just, I'll bag that smoothie or that like rice bowl or whatever it is right. and I'll just do it, you know, after the next one. That happens to me, because I, I do I don't like to feel weighed down. The problem is, then you know, for two more intervals down the line, you're gonna you're gonna bonk out because you didn't fuel properly right. all along. So you right. want to test this in your training and figure out everybody's different. Like how you know what is the 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 right caloric intake for me that won't upset my stomach, that will fuel me and allow me to feel good and won't weigh me down, um, that I can metabolize because everybody's a little bit different with this, and then also paying attention to your electrolyte balance. Like what products are you gonna be using? Are you gonna be using like a um, like a performance calorie drink? Like you can something that's like a carbohydrate based drink that you can take calories in while you're running. Are you gonna be taking in electrolytes? What does that look like? Is there a product in mind that you have for that? Like all of these things right. you should test because some people they drink Gatorade and they're throwing up or other Coconut people water. have no problem with that. I think coconut water is good. Like I like coconut water. Um, I've started using this product element. They've sponsored the podcast. So they sent me a bunch of this stuff and that seems to work really well as an electrolyte. It's During just a the powder run. that you put in your in your water. Um, it doesn't, it's a lot of those electrolyte products are super sweet. There's too much sugar in them that yeah. causes stomach upset. This doesn't have that. It works really well for me. I can give you some of those samples, but you might wanna check that out. Okay. And I just know for myself, you know, when you're cycling, like doing ultra training and you're, or racing, you can. It's easier to. It's easier to taking calories. You're sitting down. It's a different posture. Running very hard, right? Yeah. But there are products that are um, very calorically dense in in liquid form that you could start to experiment with. Like I mentioned, Ucan is one Carbopro. Yeah. Like these products are are pretty good for that. Yeah, it's a maltodextrin like- product.
1: Sorry. When I was doing the ten or eleven mile runs more regularly, like in the hills, I would bring like a lemon water, maple syrup based kind of thing that I'd make myself. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, I think this is good. So I'm not gonna do that. I guess you're saying, don't do no. <laughs> I I would
0: I would start. I would get a couple different products and try them out and see what suits you. Element and I can help you with that. Yeah, yeah. but element and you can would be two that I would suggest. Okay.
1: Of that what about smoothies like before or I think
0: that's good you know I think you should you know if you had um, and, and again it goes back to what's gonna upset your stomach like if you have a green smoothie that's too green y- your body might revolt um, you know chances are you're gonna get some diarrhea that just kind of happens with this sort of thing right um, but you got to figure out what works for you but I would you know I would I would suggest foods that are um nourishing and easy on the stomach and calorically dense like i would have um baked sweet potatoes which are kind of like nature's gels like yeah. you can chew on them they go down really easy bananas are great i mean just your average um you know yukon potatoes pretty good as well cooking some of those things I some almond potatoes. almond butter you know almond butter um love almond on, butter. you know s- stuff like that avocados work well too
1: these are my favorite foods so um, you asked me the question when I'm looking to learn about myself. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah, like why question. are you doing this? I feel like a, c- a couple things come to mind. One is my feet are not great. Like I, I have orthotics. I still have a mild plantar fasciitis in my left foot. I, I had an ankle sprain, a high ankle sprain. I took a week off and then got back to running. I t- I've taken this year and especially since Zim was born and looking at, how injuries affect me in a very different way than I had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first had a, a, a foot, pro, like I hadn't run, I had pla- a bad case of plantar fasciitis in 2012. Yeah, 2012. And I could uh, barely walk, like I was walking like an 80 year old man after a six mile hike, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, it was really kind of scared me. I'm like, how, how bad is this? Um, and gradually, so I stopped running completely and then I found, you know, my swimming became my main thing, but it never really had the, it was zone zero, like you said. Yeah. The way I was doing it. So I got back into running. Actually, my wife, when we first started hanging out, she got me back into running. And, I was surprised that I was able to do it because I was worried about my feet. And then I ended up having a tendonitis and broke a bone in my left foot after a run and didn't realize it and walked on it and like had to go to Argentina for work and was walking on it for like a month. Mm. And by the time I got back, it was so bad that like it required PT and it required these orthotics. And but gradually from a treadmill treadmill to a trail, I I was able to start running again. And it was Otillo that got me running on the street again off a treadmill. And so that's kind of recent history had me always really worried about my foot if it, if it hurt at all I'd take 2 days off you know mm-hmm. like I was very much babying it and then just like you know knowing what David goes through with his body and it doesn't stop him talking to you you know you don't you don't get stopped by much um, so I just have taken a different view on it. And so I, yeah, when i sprained, my ankle was a bad sprain. Like I knew it right when it happened, it was a terrible sprain. I've had a million times because I've played basketball my whole life. And uh, and I was like, fuck, you know, I'm right when I'm getting back in shape after the baby came, like, no way, no way am I gonna stop running because of this ankle. Uh-huh. And I gave myself, like, I didn't even take a day off. I was in the water swimming the next day and I took a week off of running and I went back to it, taped it up, just just started doing it. And so i'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see if I can pull this off with two wheels that aren't tip top, you know at my right. age and 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 so I'm interested.
0: so here's here's what's interesting about what you just said. Yeah, I asked you, what is it why are you doing this and what is it that you want to learn? And then you just recounted your history of injuries and and your tenuous relationship with endurance sports. But what you didn't do, is tell me what it is that you're seeking to learn about yourself. Like you, you made a general statement, Right. Like, I wanna see if I can do it, of course, but that's on the surface level. What I'm saying is you have an opportunity here, you're gonna go deep into the hole at some point, you're gonna have moments where you're gonna wanna quit, it's gonna be dark, you're gonna be tired. So what is it about this that you're drawn to and how can you look at this as a lever for growth in some area of your life, because I want you going into this challenge um, thinking about some blind spot in your life or some aspect of how you're living that perhaps isn't working in the way that you would like it to. Because you can problem solve here. You're gonna you're gonna go through something very difficult. You're gonna come out the other side of it. I have full confidence that you're gonna be able to do it. But. What's most critical is how you evolve and grow as a result of this. And what is it that you can learn about yourself? Mm. And I'm not saying that you should have an answer to that, but I think that you should be asking yourself those questions because this is the gift that keeps giving with endurance challenges. They are this lever for personal growth. And I think to just do it and say, well, that was fun and cool, that's fine. But you're missing the broader opportunity to, um, to do a little bit of personal inventory here. And all of that solitary time in the training and in the participation of the event itself gives you that space that you just don't get as a young dad with a baby when life is kind of coming at you really quickly. So understand that alone is a gift. And then what you make of that experience, how it sets in motion some level of momentum or create some type of foundation upon which you can build, I think is really, uh, you know, the blessing of these types of of adventures.
1: Interesting. Yeah, uh, I guess I don't have a deeper meaning mm. answer just yet, you know, I guess I don't. I mean, I was looking at it as just, you know, I'd like to do it. I'd like to. I feel like I right. get some power out of accomplishing something like this. You know, a fifty-mile run. Basically, I was thinking of actually adding point one eight or whatever to every run to make it an even fifty. Let's just
0: do this and get through it. Like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna make it more difficult early on, and then you jeopardize like capsizing the whole show. Just do four. Just do it. Yeah. And it, if if, I if at it the cap- end of forty-eight miles you you're still like I feel awesome, then go do another four miles, but don't make it. Unnecessarily difficult early on. Okay, I'll stick with this.
1: Look, I feel pretty good. Like I keep things pretty simple in my life from a from an emotional standpoint. Like I don't try to I don't try to overanalyze my life. I really don't. I don't try to be optimal in any mm-hmm. way. Like I'm not trying to optimize things. Like right. that's not how I live. Yeah. So I, I'm, I get that. I'm I, not I'm not encouraging you to do that. No, no, no. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't really because of that maybe I, I, I'm i not as introspective in some areas mm. where maybe other people might be more introspective mm-hmm. because I just don't feel like it helps me in my life. Like I like keeping it pretty simple, like kind of in a Taoist way, like right. keeping it balanced, keeping it simple, trying to enjoy the beauty of the world and and take one step at a time. And that's how I approach basically everything I try to do. And, um, but that does come as a cost of introspection. Like when you're taking it from a Taoist perspective of like, you know, chop wood, carry water. There's not like chop wood, carry water. And then tell us what you think about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, and and from that perspective, that is the more enlightened path, yeah. right? Like I'm doing it for the sake of doing it. And I'm so immersed and present in the doing of it. That it doesn't have to mean anything more than that. I'm only, and and I get that, and I think there's there's tremendous beauty in that. I'm I'm merely suggesting that that accomplishing these sorts of things will undoubtedly leave you with an elevated sense of self-efficacy mm. and a sense of personal possibility in yeah. your life. Yeah, and then the question becomes: Well, how do you channel that newly energized Adam Skolnick? Like, in what direction? Should you talk? You know, should should you aim this like newfound um, sense of what you're personally
1: capable of? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I, my wife's answer will be, "He'll buy us a house. He won't be afraid <laughs> to buy the house. Yeah. <laughs> he won't be afraid. <laughs> well, he won't be afraid to pull a trigger." So, on well,
0: we it. could unpack that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, so basically, she's saying. You could buy a house, but you're afraid. Well, there was. So, what is that fear? uh, What is that fear about?
1: There were a couple opportunities. Um, I guess. I mean, I've been I've been slugging away at this at this job for a long time as a reporter, freelance journalist, and a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, And and more recently, because of can't hurt me, did did better than I ever thought I would financially. And uh, I mean, at, at 40, I was wondering what was like. Like this whole career, like it could evaporate in 10 years or less. And I could end up being really wondering what I'm gonna do. Obviously I got through that um, before Can't Hurt Me, but then you know, this has come with a windfall. And with that came you know, some tax bills and all that. And so you end up looking at this account and you have already put out all this money that you didn't get anything for, because it's taxes, because that's the way it goes. And then also put out a down payment it just like was a lot to go out the door, and so I was like, "Can I just enjoy like a year where I'm not, <laughs> where I never have right. to think about anything I buy?" And I think it's like a little bit of just having lived through hand-to-mouth for you know doing this job for right. twenty years. So there's
0: a little bit of trauma. There's a little yeah bit, yeah. There's I a little bit of trauma because of little, your history. Yeah, and perhaps it might be worth examining whether or not you have some fear of largesse, like a discomfort.
1: With, well, there's no debt. There's no question about with that. With what it, you know, it's no like, oh, this
0: that. windfall. It was a one-time thing. It's never going to happen again. So I better hold on to this very tightly and not let it go because I'm not deserving of it happening again. Or no, this, I this isn't. You know that. what I mean? The,
1: yeah. I was saying so more I, like
0: this is great because yeah. this, the. I think these are the questions that you should be ruminating on when you know it's three in the morning and you're you're you know out in the dark.
1: Well, I wasn't even thing. thinking about like, do I feel like I'm worthy? It's more like. Although that's the deeper underlying meaning when you're afraid, like knowing I could, I could come up with all the logical reasons. Like, you know, Mark Twain had declared bankruptcy when he was basically after he wrote these great books. I mean, you know, like I could, uh, Herman Melville ended up working at the customs office after he wrote Moby Dick, you know, like I can come, I could give you a hundred reasons why it's uh, a a bad career decision to become a writer long-term. And a lot of them are financial. Um, I wasn't thinking of it as am I worthy, although that's probably the underlying thing. But mm-hmm. what I was thinking about is, um i've I've never been comfortable like i've never I've never thought like living in the best house on the block was cool. like I've never thought right. like I've never wanted to live in the best building like I, I for some reason, I've just never wanted that for myself. And I think it's because there is something there about wealth and the way I see myself, and I think there's definitely some mm. some cobwebs there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's not about like having the best thing, and I I, I know you well enough to know th- that you know you, your perspective on 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 the material world is rooted in you know a, a very heartfelt desire to see everybody flourish. Like you, you have a sensitivity to the underprivileged that I think is a, is a beautiful thing, and that's where your that's where your kind of focus lies. But it's also okay to you know live your life and enjoy it. Yeah, right? Yeah. And to the extent that you're like you don't want I'm not saying you're martyring yourself or anything like that, but is there some guilt attached to the fact that suddenly you had some success that you didn't expect and does that create some weird new emotions for you? Mm. I mean, clearly, you know, if April's like, you know, like she <laughs> she might be seeing a version of you that you can't see, right? Yeah, and so right. I, I you know, I don't have the answers to any of that, but I just think those are interesting questions to ask Definitely. yourself and think about. I like that, Yeah, this, this is great. So I'm excited for you, you'll report back. Um, yes. And we'll see how this well, goes. Well,
1: report uh, on, my, uh, on some of my uh, next time, it'll be a SIM before we even do the right. event, yeah. Right, yeah. and we'll sort that
0: out. Yeah, cool. sort out the SIM. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with lots of cool stuff to talk about, um, including listener questions and more. Right, and we're back. Before we get into a new segment, we're calling the buzz. Is that what we're calling it? The it buzz—the big story. The, but- well, the
1: big story. We didn't. We're not doing a big story this week. We're doing yeah. a, sh- a shorter thing. We'll call the buzz. Right. I like that. Yeah. I'm tired of the big story. The big story's draining.
0: <laughs> it really is. <laughs> as it, as you might have imagined, we've pivoted away from politics today. There's a good reason for that. Yeah. I think we're all fatigued of that, and yes. we want to get back into the heart of. The kind of stuff that I love to talk about, so this is fun. Before we get into the buzz, though, I did want to mention for people that are watching on, on YouTube, they can see this. I'm wearing my Legion Legion of Los Angeles T-shirt yep, today. Yep. Uh That's uh, Justin Williams. Justin Williams's uh, cycling team. He was a great guest on the podcast, um, and uh, I ran into him yesterday. I was I was headed over to the studio here Sunday late afternoon to put a couple final touches on the Adam Grant podcast, which is up now. Um, and I spotted him riding in his red, white and blue Legion kit, pulled over, chatted with him. He was all fired up. He's got all kinds of good things going on with the team. He's very grateful for, for uh, the podcast and all the people that reached out to him as a result of his appearance here. And uh, it was a reminder that I had gotten this t-shirt and I wanted to rock it. It's a show, great t-shirt. So. I think what he's doing is really cool. So if you go to his Instagram, if you dig the t-shirt and you wanna support his team and and what he's doing um, in the community of cycling, uh, probably the best place to go to his his Instagram. And And you can buy
1: it, you can can contribute. Yeah, he's got some swag and gear and stuff like that. I'm gonna buy one of those t-shirts, I love it. That
0: was kind of show and tell. We have more show and tell to do. We do.
1: Anyway, get into it, the buzz. The buzz. What, What are we buzzing about? We're buzzing about Clubhouse the future of audio. This is a- uh, Is it though? Well, that's what we're wondering about. The pros and cons of using it. So Clubhouse is this new social media uh, platform. It was, it's kind of like this thing where you go into different, you know, you you become a member, you get an invitation, you enter this house and all in this house are an infinite number of rooms. And each room has its own kind of topic or moderator going on. And you can wander into the rooms and hear these interesting discussions. it is, to me, it's kind of part user generated talk show platform, part like salons of the digital age. You know, those salons right. from like Gertrude Stein's Paris salon is probably the best mm-hmm. known version of it with Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all those great writers. Um, this is for everyone to have a salon. So um, the, it was a tiny San Francisco startup with about a dozen employees founded by two entrepreneurs, Paul Davidson and Rohan Seth. Um, And basically uh, I think one of them is, I think, what is it? They both went to Stanford. Um, Davison created some social networking uh, apps, including Highlight, which allowed users to see and message people nearby. Seth was a Google engineer and co-founded a company called Memory Labs, which built apps. So they had this experience in the app space and they were kind of, pinballing around trying to find something. And this is the one that has taken off and they've raised a hundred million dollars in the last month Mm -hmm. and it's now. I believe
0: Andreessen Horowitz led that funding round. I know they're they're pretty heavily invested in this platform
1: and it's it's now valued at a billion dollars and this thing just came out of nowhere like i heard about it for the first time a couple of months ago when did you you, you were one of the first I people on i was very it, right? early in yeah. yeah i got
0: invited into clubhouse at the very maybe not at the very inception but very early on i think there were only like a thousand people on the platform at the time that that i got invited on when was that um, it was it was a while ago like i don't i can't remember a year ago no, maybe not that long ago. Can't, I can't, maybe a year ago, I'm not quite sure. Maybe nine, nine, 10 months ago, I'm not
1: sure. So 10 months ago, there were so, a thousand people on it and now it's- There was cr-
0: barely anybody on it. It's <laughs> crazy. And sounds- I've dropped in and listened to conversations from time to time. I can't say I'm like a power user. It's right. interesting, like now everybody's talking about Clubhouse. I think a big part of that is because Elon Musk was in a room the other day with the CEO of Robinhood, yes. and that was a big kind of like pivotal moment in the evolution of this platform um, that introduced it to a lot of people. And I've because got like that a, was around it's the whole, like I've never, whole. but I've never done a conversation there. Um, I've got like a bunch of followers there, but I've not, I've never used it really. But I, I kind of check in on it from time to time, and I've, I've been thinking about. Um, what this platform means and, and what it presents. And I do think there's something interesting about that salon aspect Yes, and having conversations that aren't just two people, but there's a variety of people that can chime in because you can quietly sit in the back and listen, or you can participate. And sometimes there's like 12 or 15 people that are all kind of like jockeying to have their point heard in these, in these rooms, in these specific rooms. Uh, It's sort of like um, eavesdropping on a party line or something like that. Right. Because it's happening in real time. These conversations are not recorded. They're not recorded unless somebody is, you know, recording them using something else, but they're not intended to be recorded. So it's an ephemeral kind of thing.
1: And I think. Right. Like an event, like a festival. Yeah. So
0: that spontaneity, I think, you know, contributes to a different kind of conversation than maybe you would have on a podcast where there's cameras and lights and right. a little bit of fanfare around it. Um, historically, my sense of Clubhouse is that there's been two camps that have grown there. One is is very much a Silicon Valley, um, perhaps you know, bro slash philosopher kind of um, ecosystem where there's a lot of conversations about the future of tech mm. and, It perhaps has a little bit of a libertarian bent to it. And there's some controversy surrounding particular aspects of those conversations. And at the same time, there's also a very robust uh, community um, comprised of people of color having interesting conversations about diversity and the future of the workplace. Um, And now I think it's mainstreaming a little bit as more and more people are finding out about it and more and more people are onboarding onto it. And I've thought a lot about like my own personal relationship to this platform and whether or not I wanna make use of it. And I think there's something interesting to be explored there. Like I'm not averse to having a conversation with an interesting person on Clubhouse or participating in one of these, these broader talks. And I think it could be an opportunity to Expose this podcast to an audience of people who perhaps are not familiar with it. So there's a growth potential there, I think. But at the same time, uh, you know, I already do that here. You know, this is where I want the focus of my, you know, my audio content to live. And I think to jump onto Clubhouse and participate in conversations there is really contributing to the growth of that platform. And I'm more interested in growing. Uh, my own audience and perhaps even, not perhaps, but definitely my own platform outside of these social media apps. Yeah, um, We're gonna be launching, and I've mentioned this in the past, uh, a, um, a portal, a membership portal for people that are like super fans where we're gonna have exclusive content and a lot more connectivity and interaction with myself and, and other people, and we're working on that. Um, we're going to be launching a pilot, sort of beta mm, version of that, pretty soon, and I've got a lot more to share about that on on future episodes. So I guess I think it's super interesting, and it will be fascinating to see how this develops and grows over time. Well, especially a,
1: since like Facebook's already well, got a easy, rooms thing on yeah, Instagram, like yeah. They building, can easily yeah. copy this thing yeah.
0: and 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 launch their own the version. I, I, you're going to see that pretty soon. Yeah, I think that's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. Um, you're seeing on Clubhouse people who are doing these daily talk shows or weekly shows. I think that's cool. That is a version of podcasting that's unique in its own thing. But I think like podcasting, people are gonna find out that it's gonna be a grind, right? So who's right. gonna who's going to really develop an audience and stick to it and be willing to do the kind of heavy lifting that's required to build an audience and remain consistent um, because the Elons are gonna pop in from time to time, but they're not gonna be coming in weekly on no. Clubhouse. No. So what is it that people are gonna be tuning in for? And I've just noticed when I open it up, I'll see a couple conversations going on or a schedule of conversations that are gonna be going on later in the day. And I kind of go, that could be interesting, but like, I'd rather listen to this podcast where I kind of already know what's gonna happen there. And, and there'll be some a forethought that goes into how that conversation is gonna play out. So yeah. I've, I've listened in the background on some of these conversations and, and some of them have been cool, but I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna be a power user on Clubhouse.
1: No, and, and then there's also the aspect of at some point this kind of haze, COVID haze will all be lifted and we'll get back to normal life and everyone's gonna wanna go to a real salon. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's we're, true. We're gonna be hungry but, for that.
0: But. But the opportunity to kind of eavesdrop on like, well, what is Elon Musk going to ask the CEO right. of Robinhood right. is a pretty cool thing, right? It is cool. And I think we're also going to see this platform pivot to a subscription-based model or um a premium event platform where it's like, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to talk to so-and-so. So reserve your spot for seven bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think I think that should be the case. Like if somebody's going to have like a really cool thing happening there, the creators of that or the participants in that should be remunerated.
1: Yeah, well, that I mean, you're pointing to the thing that we talked about when we were talking about the social dilemma. Right. In that, um, what's the purpose of this platform? The purpose of the platform is not to get you into the room with the with, purpose of the with, platform is to create is to make a unicorn lot of, to and make like a lot of money. have a
0: billion dollar valuation. <laughs> right.
1: And so, everyone who's <laughs> yeah, going looks, there, um, they might think they're getting an experience, but really they're giving they're giving power to they're this the company. product. Of yeah, course. they're the product, and that
0: doesn't mean that 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 there isn't value. And it what's doesn't. Going on it here. doesn't.
1: And I'm not. And I'm not even. You know, that's entrepreneurship. It's fine. But um, I do think like that has colored the way I look at all these platforms. And how do you want to make your? How do you want to spend your time? Yeah, and um, I feel like I spend enough time on my phone, probably more than enough. Mm-hmm. So personally, I am. I was invited. I'm. I am. I have it on my phone. I opened it once, like at eight in the morning, just to browse. Like, well, like while I was lying on the couch, like maybe even in bed or something like that. And two people wanted to talk to me. I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> I got, to, I got out of there quick, man. I,
0: that happened to me too. I opened it up, and there was some conversation going on around plant based nutrition. So I thought, yeah. oh, this will be cool, but it was immediately noticed that i had like that i was in the background or whatever yeah. and the, and i got a ping like oh join the conversation and it was the same thing i was yeah. like I, I could have been in the bathroom, like I don't know what I was doing, but I was certainly not prepared to, like you know, yeah. join in. Hey, Rich, wait, wait, what? And I <laughs> and I had like a little panic moment, and I like <laughs> logged out. I was like, "Am I live on this thing? Yes. I don't even know what's going on." Yes,
1: yes, yes. So beware when right. you first try to enter uh-huh. what might happen. So um, um, at the
0: same time, uh, another reason why Clubhouse is very much in the news and on the on everybody's uh, tongues and lips at the moment is because there's a, they're trying to figure out. What content moderation looks like here mm. in, in this broader conversation yep. around content moderation on Twitter and Facebook, etc., there doesn't seem to be any um, effort or or infrastructure around that with respect to Clubhouse at the time. And I think this is really interesting. Like, like how does that work? Like, what is the, you know, what is the what is the, you know, value proper proposition around content moderation? On a platform where conversations are happening live and in real time and are not being archived or recorded, like are you you know, certainly um, if we've learned anything over the past year that you know we do need to be thinking about this problem, but I just don't know how you implement any kind of solution uh, on a platform like Clubhouse, not that to, not to say that you that you can't. Um, and I think even more broadly, there's conversations happening right now about content moderation in the podcast ecosystem. Yes. as well. Yes. which you know, I, I just I can't imagine how you even approach that
1: issue. Why? Because I don't think people really get like, like if I look at my Apple podcast feed, and I see the way people frame their shows and not everyone frames them. We've talked about this before. Not everyone comes correct with how what their show really is. Um, why is it hard for these big uh, platforms like Apple and Spotify and others to moderate?
0: Well, first of all, there's 2 million podcasts. There's like something like 17,000 new podcasts uh, that are being created every week, I think. Yeah. And the number of hours that's getting onboarded every minute is insane. And in order to do any kind of content moderation, you can't just look at a Facebook post, you have to actually listen to what people are saying. And then you have to place, you can't even just transcribe it and really fully understand because it all has to be placed in a, the greater context of whatever conversation is happening. Yeah, There's gonna be you know, margin cases on the outskirts where maybe that's easy, like if somebody's, Basically saying we, you know, like fomenting insurrection and saying we have to kill, you know, these people or something like that, where you could easily, you know, immediately identify that there's a problem here. But other than that, like podcasting is all ab- about like a, a, a nuanced conversation, and it's often about controversial or difficult topics. And I'm a believer in exploring difficult ideas in long form as a way of stress testing my own views on things, but also as a service to humanity to get them to think about how strongly they hold their own beliefs. And right. so I think you need some, some um, flexibility or kind of a, a broadness in that regard. So there's the logistical technical aspect of how you would you know, police for lack of a better term Content moderate so much content. I don't know that AI is capable of that. Right. Um, and you'd have to build software. You can't. To you'd do have it. to have right. millions of human beings. And also, something's live. Like, how long is it going to take you to? I just don't. I don't see how it's well, possible. Well, you could. not do it
1: within a show, but could you do it within like what the show is about? Like, kind of the, like the. Also, is it is this something we should be doing? Right. At all. Right.
0: You know, I think that's a question we need to ask. You know, should, it, should we
1: err on the side I mean, it's of like, free listen, speech or not? And 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 on the logistical
0: aspect of it as well, it's not like Facebook or Twitter where there's one platform. There's a whole stack of providers. In the way that, you know, AWS is the cloud support to these social media platforms. With podcasting, it's not just Apple and Spotify. It's it's all the hosting platforms. Yeah. Like we host on Acas. There's Libsyn. There's Podbean. There's Blueberry. There's a million of these little companies. So which are like where are we doing ha- the content hosting. moderation? Are we are we doing it at the level of Apple and Spotify, or are we doing it at the level of these hosting companies? Right. And what incentive do they have? Like a lot of them are small companies. They have teams of ten or twenty people or something right. like. that. These like hosting they're not companies you are set talking, up to be able to do this. They're
1: like the version of web hosting for podcasts.
0: Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Like that's where the actual like audio file rests. And then you have this thing called an RSS feed, which is basically a way of syndicating your content across the internet. So by definition, it's an open structure, which makes it different and infinitely more complicated than these social media sites.
1: You know, what's funny is that when the internet was born, it's openness the idea of open source and open everything and you you know and it's a free for all was kind of seen as it will it will end up being it's like evolution it will be a good the end mm-hmm. product will just automatically be good and now we have we're in this kind of dark middle phase where it's turning well, yeah, out. We're in our
0: early adolescence, <coughs> right? Where,
1: we're not sure that right. that will turn out. that We're
0: stumbling way. around in the dark we trying to solve problems that humanity's never had to face before, which makes it really difficult.
1: But moderation and and censorship, it's like they're, they're it's it's kind of a a fine line, right? Between between the two things, like mm-hmm. um. And then you can't like we didn't talk about this before, but this is a good time to talk about it. Like. The uh, everyone is so prone to outrage right now that, like, anything said now might be construed in a way that five years from now we'd look back and laugh at, or five years ago we would think, What? Mm -hmm. Like, why are people outraged about that? You had you posted, you and you uh went on a hike with Alexi, yeah, and you posted (laughs) yourself at the top having fun with masks on, and what happened?
0: Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, Alexi Pappas and I hooked up for uh, a hike the other day. Um, we had a great time, super fun. And we're like, oh, let's take a picture, you know, when we're at the top of this little climb. And uh and we had masks, so we took the picture, posted it, and a lot of look, to be fair, a lot of people were like, Oh, that's so cool. You guys talked about like, you yeah. know, getting out for a run together and you actually did it. Um, but there were a lot of people who were very angry that we were mar- wearing masks in the great outdoors mm-hmm. and people you know hurling epithets at me and saying that I thought you were about wellness and you should be you know drinking in the biosphere and you don't need to be wearing masks outside and you've bought into the great hype and yeah, you're a face it, it's very, but it was it was less like all right, fine, there's, there's anti-mask people and there's people who have strongly held beliefs about the efficacy of wearing masks, but it was more the tone, like the vitriol yeah. of the whole thing yeah. that really bummed me out. It was, it was disappointing that so many people felt so strongly about that when I was like, just trying to share a fun picture of Alexi and I out right. on a hike. Um, and I guarantee you that had we taken the photo with masks off, it would have been the same thing just a mirror image Reverse. of that yes. you know and 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 i think it speaks to that level of um you know outrage that we're seeing in general yes. at the moments
1: and where people are more focused on stuff outside themselves on this little screen than what's than their own self and even better um like now it's more important to it's more important what you say or how you said it, then what you do and how you live your life in a way. It's like the perception has shifted, you know, like mm. like you can be misconstrued so easily. Um, and, and then there's also the thing is a lot of those people who are making comments on what to do with a mask or not, they're not necessarily qualified to make,
0: <laughs> make those comments. No, and either. it's like, listen, <laughs> you know, I'm not virtue signaling because I'm afraid you're, you're of losing accused, followers or anything like that. Signaling. But I think like yeah. it's better to like put a picture up where we're being safe than on the other side of it. But that's really all the thought that went into
1: it. You know, it's Well, I agree like, with you, it's I okay mean, to be safe. You know,
0: And then at the same time people, I was wearing my ons, my on running shoes. Yeah. So then there were people who were like, well, I guess, you know, Tony Riddle and the minimalist thing didn't, didn't stick with you. You abandoned it already. Like the Vivo barefoot. Oh. I was like, I wear Vivos. I wear ons, right. I wear all different kinds of stuff. Like right. I'm trying different things all the time. On this day, I happen to be wearing my On running shoes. Like, it's really nothing more than that. You can't, you know? well, listen, you and can't. And it just makes me think, why am I even posting on these social sites? So- it's like, I don't, it, it, it makes me really disinterested in engaging on those platforms at all? Is that right? And 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 it's more reason to create my own platform where the people who are interested in what I'm doing want to you know participate and you know be connected to the work that I'm doing. Interesting. Like what you know? What's the what's the benefit?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the, there is a benefit for you to build the podcast through that platform since you put so much effort into building your your. Kind of follow. Yeah, I mean,
0: they're you, they, they, they have a utility in that regard. Yeah. But at some point, it's like, if, if I can't post a picture of me and a friend out on a hike without it being controversial, then it's know, this it's weird like, time we're in, dude. It's, People it's, are it's, so like, it's very they're like, strange. they're like
1: hair triggered to fucking launch because of uh, we've, we're and just listen, this weird you know, time
0: to, to take a cue from, from Adam Grant and all of the amazing work that, that he's doing. And that probably is speaks killing about, it, by the way. Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. How he how he thinks about you know engaging with people. It's like people you know. I how can I how can I look at that particular instance from a perspective of curiosity and empathy. And like people are having a hard time. We're uh, all stuck at home. Yeah. Maybe you know there there's snowstorms everywhere at the moment, and it looks like a nice day in Los Angeles. And I'm out with a friend, and that made somebody angry, and they lash out because they're having a hard time, or they got laid off, or has nothing to do with me. No. So the more that I can inhabit that space, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I think they just want to see
1: your pretty face, Rich. And they were really pissed <laughs> no, off. They had to look at I it. don't know what it Someone was. Someone called it a face diaper on your pla- on your uh on your oh, really? <laughs> face. diaper. I haven't heard that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. Show and tell. Let's do it. All right. I've got something. I'll be right back.
0: Um, oh, you're gonna go get something? While well, you do that, I'll share one thing that I have right now, which is uh this Mug, if you're watching on YouTube, you can, you've can. you probably been looking at this red mug thinking like, that's cool, what is that? So I had the wonderful Steven Pressfield on the podcast the other day. People will know him as the author of The War of Art and Turning Pro. Um, he's had a huge influence on me as a creative person, perhaps the most influence of anybody that I had never previously met. And it was a super honor to have him on the show. We had a great conversation, I'll be sharing that soon but he came bearing gifts and he brought me this mug, which was made by this artisan potter um, called, uh, called Joel Cherico. And essentially what it is, it's called a Cothon. And it's inspired by the ancient Spartan warriors who fought in the battle of Thermopylae, like 2,500 years ago, um, which is a subject matter that Stephen writes about in, in, in some of his uh, military novels. And he kind of discharged this potter to craft this cothon, this drinking cup, which was valued for its use on military campaigns with the Spartans. Uh, Nobody knows exactly what they look like specifically, um, but Stephen challenged this potter to come up with uh, the design based upon historical records, and this is what he came up with, and I absolutely love it. So you're drinking your coffee uh, so out of a
1: Spartan chalice I, right now. I am, yes. <laughs> Apparently, but the Spartans were the hundred, like that great movie. Yeah, 100, from, right. From,
0: well, the Battle of Thermopylae was three hundred. Three hundred, right? It's it's great basically movie. the same thing. Yeah, and uh, this cup was. So the way it goes, the way it's written here, visibly off putting elements in stream or river water, which had to be drunk were concealed by its color while the dirt in the liquid was trapped on, in the lip so that it reached the mouth. So whatever reached the mouth was was cleaner. I guess that's the An design aesthetic of the whole filter. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> essentially <laughs> 2,500 years ago. <laughs> And it has this this cool seal on it, which is like the Spartan
1: seal. It's cool. Anyway, I was wondering about that. Um,
0: I just thought it was great. They're beautifully rendered, and I wanted to shout out Joel Cherico uh, for his work. So if you guys want to learn more about his pottery, go to Cherico Pottery. It's C H E R R I C O Pottery dot com, um, and uh, get your own mug, I suppose. So thank you, Stephen, and and thank you, Joel, for the gift. And it's you beautiful. have
1: some shoes on as well.
0: Oh yeah, I do. So. Back to Alexi. So when Alexi came on the podcast, she was wearing these shoes called Atreya that I, that I didn't know about. She's now sponsored by this running company. And um, I thought those are really cool. They're unique. I hadn't ever seen shoes like that before. So I looked them up on the internet and I bought a pair to check them out. And what I learned was pretty cool. So I'm, I'm wearing them right now. They're kind of dope looking, right? They are. Um, they're pretty minimal. They have this like on the inside, it says fear fear only regret, each one of their models has like a different little saying on the inside of them. I like that. But what's unique about this particular brand is this subscription model that they have. And the shoes are incredibly affordable. Like you can buy a one-off shoe for 75 bucks, but if you Um, go on a subscription, they are $55 and they come to you. You can set how often they send you new pairs, like two months, I think is the suggested interval because these are very kind of like lightweight. If you're running a lot, they're gonna wear out more quickly. And 75 bucks a year, you're saying? 75 bucks for one pair if you buy a single pair. And a typical pair of running shoes is like 95 to $110 or something like that. $55 for a shoe, like that's super affordable. And they come with a return shipping label. Uh, so when you get your new pair, you send the old one back and they upcycle them and donate them to people who need shoes, which I think is really cool. On top of the fact that the company was founded by this guy, Michael Kreichek, who's a sober dude um, who has his roots in the music and, and restaurant industry and and they're in I think they're in Austin. Yeah, I think he's in Austin. Okay. Anyway, I thought it was cool. They're not they don't sponsor the podcast or anything like that, but I saw it was a cool brand. And and I wouldn't have found out about it except for Alexi because she was wearing them. She's Beautiful. rocking them now. So, anyway, that's what I'm wearing today. Oh, Alexi. That's my big. I show like and Alexi's
1: uh, good pain um, analogy. How She's like- full
0: of, of little
1: nuggets of wisdom, isn't good. she? Yeah. So oh. I
0: shared the, the 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 clip of her talking about um, the rule of thirds, and oh, yeah. people just love
1: that. That's man. amazing. Yeah, um, I just downloaded her book. Actually, so we
0: haven't, we haven't commented on the fact that you're wearing a moon suit oh, right now. Sorry, you you, you disappeared when I was on. talking about. The, I was so into the mug and then the shoe, and then you returned and you're wearing <laughs> let's, like a let's parka. Get, get yours
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> so, all
0: right, talk, and I'll go
1: get it. All right, so we are wearing Shackleton Expedition Grade. Uh, parkas, I guess. Um, so Shackleton is this uh expedition grade gear company, but they also have like I guess performance attire that also looks good and is super high end. I think Italian made. Um, this one is a performance jacket that I'm is, already hot is, is graded <laughs> to minus 25 degrees <laughs> Celsius. Uh-huh. It's basically Antarctic grade, like summer in Antarctica, we could wear this and you know, a legion t-shirt and those shoes and be just fine, <laughs> right. I think. Um, and it was made out of plastic recycled uh-huh. uh, plastic bottles. So um, they developed it in partnership with, a, with an organization called the Blue Marine Foundation. And, you know, Shackleton made his name on an expedition to Antarctica that right. kind of was a failed fraud expedition, but his leadership basically saved everyone's life in this crazy period of time they lived for, for like almost a year on ice, you know, in, in 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 sheet ice in the middle of the ocean, and it kept everyone's you know sane and alive. Um, anyway, so this has been let's see, it's 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 made from hundred percent recycled fabrics, uh-huh. made and post-consumer plastic bottles have been recycled and repurposed to create this waterproof shell. So the, all the wow. fabrics are recycled, and the shell is made out of the bottles, and then it's filled with goose down. So you know, sorry, it's oh, not vegan. That's not so good. No. But it is we—they're not, appre- not a sponsor.
0: I appreciate—they're no. not a sponsor. and this was a gift. I appreciate that. Yeah, it would be cool if there was no down in it.
1: Yeah, um,
0: but I appreciate the recycled plastic aspect of this. It
1: is, it is good. So it's a, it's, it is a beautiful jacket. If you're, if you're going to Yellowstone in the middle of winter, this will help. Yeah, I was in yeah, Yellowstone. I, it was like minus twenty, and I had like a Patagonia jacket that was graded to like thirty degrees. Mm. <laughs>
0: So essentially there's nowhere on planet earth that you can go in this coat and and be cold.
1: No, I mean, except- Maybe at the bottom of the ocean. Or the top of K2.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, okay, (laughs) cool. Well, thank you for the gift, I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank Thank you. you. So talk to me about this on the subject of the bottom of the ocean. Yes. this WSL, we are one ocean campaign that we wanted to talk about.
1: The teachable moment today is uh, WSL and WSL Pure, which is the nonprofit arm of the World Surf League have uh, launched a campaign to get groundswell support to encourage the UN to help declare 30% of the ocean off limits to development, oil exploration, gas development, fishing, commercial fishing. Not all fishing, commercial fishing um, by twenty thirty, mm-hmm. and the reason being is, uh, well, there's a, a few reasons for it, but we are in the middle of a you know possible mass extinction event where species are going extinct at a high level. This is uh, ocean is being acid, acidified. It's a, the highest, the highest. Uh, acidification of the ocean in terms of rate there's ever been. Um, we, we, that matters because our every second breath comes from the ocean. Uh, 90% of the carbon dioxide that we've ever emitted winds up in the ocean. And that's mm-hmm. the reason for the acidification. We have coral reefs that are dying. We have um, you know kelp forests that are going away. Uh, the water temperature is higher than it's ever been. So because of all of this, uh, we are now uh, worried about species collapse and total systems collapse, which matters to us, You know, from a, from an oxygen standpoint, from a life standpoint, from food standpoint. And so one solution to our problems that, that the, the scientists have decided is that if you can declare 30% of, of the ocean off limits to development in any way and protect it, um, that has proven to be a driver for climate resiliency, mm. increased biodiversity. Um, it it protects coastal areas from from erosion, um, and it just is protecting you know vulnerable species. Uh, it also ends up being uh, help helpful for commercial fisheries because it gives it, it provides sanctuary. Right, the for,
0: populations are more robust. Right for nurseries, bounce back. Someone's How calling dare our you. line.
1: Um, nurseries for fish populations to, yeah. to bounce back. So that like you just said. So the WSL has uh, set up a website called weareoneocean.org. Um, and they want you to sign a petition that will go to the UN convention on biological diversity, which is being held in China in May, 2021. And it, the petition is basically asking the UN to set this 30 by 30 standard and then let the countries decide amongst themselves. You know, each country will will take that standard and then um, decide how much of the of the coastal waters will be preserved, how much of it will be in national waters, and then how much in international waters can be preserved. Because some mm-hmm. of the problem is there's overfishing in international waters where there's nobody regulating. Right. The Amer- U.S. is very good at regulating our fisheries. We we actually have great fishery regulation. Um, the I would, I would argue, I've looked into this uh, uh, for some stories and it's the best in the world for, from what I can tell. And fishery management is going up in all sorts of countries around the world. But at the same time, we have fishing boats on the very edge of the Galapagos National Park, commercial fishing boats mm-hmm. and sharks are getting taken and mm-hmm. everything's getting taken right at the very edge of that. So what does that tell us? It tells us two things. One is MPA's work because there's a reason those fishing boats are right at the other end of an MPA, right? Mm-hmm. And some people are worried they're coming into the national park. That's a, a, a question that people are looking at. Um, but they tell us that these kinds of things work. But eventually, you know, if you have a nursery of fish, they will go out, they need to go into the open ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you, sh- you should be able to fish for them. And so uh, the other thing it tells us is that um, we do need patrol, this kind of thing. We need, we need higher patrols in the areas that are marine protected areas. Now, there is organized opposition that has popped up against the WSL. Some uh, recreational fishermen are not happy that are also surfers that pay attention to what the WSL does. Mm-hmm. And they've been pushing back on this idea of 30 by 30, partly because in California, there is an effort to get 30% of the ocean and 30% of the land um, preserved by, 30, 30, by 2030. There was a ballot measure that failed. And now there's a movement in the assembly to try to get that done. And and so commercial fishermen have put out talking points and are very much against that. This is not that, this is not the WSL saying, California needs to do X, Y, or Z, or even the United States. This is the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. Let's set this standard and then let's let the countries work together to try to figure out the best way right, to do
0: it. Right. In kind of a Paris Agreement type of it's context. It's exactly
1: the perfect right. analogy. Well,
0: a couple of things. First of all, like leave it to the surfers. <laughs> surfers are always <laughs> at the vanguard with respect to ocean preservation, mm. so thank you for your service. Mm. And it's certainly laudable. And when you look at it broadly, it's like how hard can it be to, you know, the, the, our our oceans are so vast. Can't we set aside 30%? This should be a no-brainer and very easily accomplished. But I'm envisioning all of these countries getting together to try to hash out which parts are protected and which aren't. Right. And, and and I can just see that being a shit show in terms of. Well, it's
1: already happened, right? Yeah. So like in Antarctica, Louis Pugh, the great swimmer that has swum in right. Antarctica before. Amazing, amazing guy. He, he swims in, the, in Greenland, Antarctica, wherever he can to raise awareness of climate change. And one, the reason he wants MPAs, there's one, I think West Antarctica and East Antarctica. One of them has already been declared an MPA. What does an
0: MPA stand for?
1: Marine Protected Area. Okay. And so, in the Marine Protected Area, you cannot. Some of them you can. You can recreationally fish, but you can't commercially fish. You can't deep sea mine, which is a a threat now. Mm -hmm. You can't uh, drill for oil and gas. That kind of stuff. And so, he was trying to get. East Antarctica to become an MPA, and it would be it would create the biggest marine protected area in the, in the history of humanity all around Antarctica, which is always supposed to be about the betterment of the United of the mm-hmm. of the human family, right? The world governments came together and they never fought over Antarctica. It was always seen as this place where it shouldn't be about commercial enterprise. It should be about science and well-being. And um, he went down and swam in in a glacier melt and he did this great thing. And he was trying to get the UN to sign on to make this MPA happen and China and Russia held out. And so it just took one no vote basically of the Treaty Mm -hmm. of Antarctica. We weren't a member of that. It's it's basically whoever signed on to the Treaty of Antarctica in the early days, they were the votes on it. And uh, those two, China and Russia held out. Mm -hmm. Um, So this isn't a slam dunk but uh it, we do need to recognize that we have a problem in our ocean it's so vast like you yeah. said it seems like nothing can harm it but it, it you know it is suffering so we
0: are one ocean what's the website um we are one .org, right and you can sign the petition there. There's a there's a video. There's also another link the, the wdrv.it yes. link. No so that, that, that was that was kind of, of a video a, kind of like a video.
1: That was kind of a presentation to journalists so right. it's kind of like it's not really wide. The cool. weareoneocean.org is the one you want. And you know um, Italo Ferreira the world champion surfer is is on board with this. A lot of major surfers are on board with this. Um, my friend Reese Pacheco is the kind of brain behind it at WSL Pure, um, and you know, on this he gets into the CO2, why why it matters that the ocean is warmer than ever. Um, what can we do besides CO2 emissions to significantly reduce other major stressors like overfishing and offshore oil development? Blah blah blah, and that is setting aside, you know, big chunks of right. the ocean.
0: Cool, man. Well, keep us posted. Everybody, check out that petition. Give it your signature.
1: Let's do it. And let's move on to listener questions. Listener questions. So this one came in from Adam from Santa Monica. <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> that's me. <Yes. laughs> I am, I, I was gonna say this. So the you reason- You should
0: have actually called in and left a voicemail <laughs> and then we could play it. I
1: should have. Um, Adam from Santa Monica is beyond outrage. This, we talked about this. We were pivot, wanted to pivot away from talking about anything political that, last bit aside, mm-hmm. um, because I'm just Although like-
0: Although the, the sort of content moderation is is highly political as well. It is,
1: but we're not really talking about like party politics and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. We're talking about issues that, that concern us all, um, but I'm kind of so beyond outrage. I couldn't watch the impeachment. I didn't want anything. I didn't have any more energy for it. And I was just thinking like, how do we move beyond outrage as a people? Because I've always found anger to be very powerful. It's a powerful tool. Um, it can drive you in in productive ways, but if it stagnates, it can become bitterness, which I think we saw on your feed mm-hmm. um, some of that. And bitterness is so counterproductive. I think it fuels almost everything bad that we see that kind of bubbles to the surface here lately. Um, so I guess the question is, you know, how do you move beyond outrage and anger?
0: Yeah, I mean, isn't that the sixty four dollar question? I mean, uh, yeah, your mine as well. My outrage. Stores have been depleted, mm. I feel incapable of it at the moment, but you know I have to also recognize that that depletion of my outrage is perhaps you know on some level a function of of privilege you know because I'm not in need at the moment, and I think we have to deconstruct this question from two perspectives from the kind of greater social uh, community. Um, aspects of outrage and what's fueling that and what the antidote is, and then our own individual behavior that we can take responsibility for, because I think broadly, culturally, nationally, we're not going to be able to move beyond outrage until we solve some very large problems that we face, most particularly um, the the wage gap you know mm-hmm. we're in a we're in a situation where the middle class has disappeared the division between the haves and the have nots have never been greater. In the midst of the pandemic, the richest people have enriched themselves beyond measure when they could have used that wealth to, you know, basically uh, confront the coronavirus pandemic for the benefit of the less well off. Like there's plenty of things that the most landed gentry class in our country um, could have been of service to us in a way that 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 we didn't see. Right. Yes. Meanwhile, people are losing their jobs, they're losing their health insurance. Um, we're not seeing any any real effort regarding like how to resolve any of this. And that that wealth gap is only going to exacerbate. And I think um, you know, over the course of history, if you study history, when that gap becomes too large, the foundations upon which that culture are are embedded begin to fracture and either revolution or some other force intervenes. And that's how changes in government occur. When we have so many people who are suffering at the moment, we can't begrudge them for their outrage. Now that outrage gets stoked by the news cycle and social media uh, apps that, that you know, provoke that outrage and and, you know, exacerbate it to some extent. And I think we all need to be aware of the extent to which our anger gets triggered. But I'm sympathetic to people who are outraged right now because their lives are not what they should be or what they could be in mm. this moment. On an individual basis, when I look at my own, um, how I comport myself and how I behave and how I deal with people who, are outraged or I'm in a context in which somebody's angry at me I have to think about the conversation that I had with Adam Grant you know and 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 how he talks about and how the science um, what the science reveals about how to have more productive conversations and how to ameliorate tensions and and, and it, again and I it's not like I haven't talked about this before it all goes back to leading with empathy you know entering these conversations with humility and with curiosity, as opposed to a need or a desire to change somebody else's mind. Mm-hmm. If you ask somebody that's interesting that that's how you feel, or that's the way you see things, tell me more about that, or walk me through the process of how you arrived at that conclusion. I think that's always the way in, but when you come at it aggressively, then you're in a position where you're butting heads, nobody's mind is getting changed and you're just basically, um, doubling down on the difference and the acrimony that lives and breathes between two different people. Yeah. Um, further to that, what is the solution? if you If you enter those conversations with that spirit of empathy, humility, and curiosity, well, you have to be willing to sit down for a while, right? And that's where I think long form conversations come in. That's why I believe in podcasting so much mm-hmm. as an antidote to all of this, you know, podcasting, because of the open nature source of it, the the fact that it's an RSS feed, and and that it's not about clickbait titles, and um, and you know trying to uh, you know game the system. Not that the system doesn't get gamed in other ways, but there's something unique about it. Um, there is no like podcasting suffers from a discoverability problem. Like right. unlike YouTube or other things, like you it's it's difficult to find new stuff. And it's difficult to kind of game. You can't do it with a clickbait title, right? right? So I believe that the best stuff eventually rises to the top and my hope and my belief is that, um, you know, these types of long form conversations are what people need right now and we crave it. Nobody wants to live in a place of fear, anger, and acrimony no. um, as familiar as it might feel right now. And I think that's a reason why people are cottoning on to these long form podcasts because, there is it is a salve to that in some regard
1: yeah and i think you know there's also uh individually we have to kind of salve our own wounds as well at the same time because outrage you can't run on outrage no matter what it's you're, not a
0: sustainable fuel source it's just right? not
1: no matter where you are in the world and 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 you know you know how 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 rightfully outraged you mm-hmm. may be um you gotta you gotta figure out a way to feel yourself some other way, you know to some from some other inspiration. Um, because really the only solutions, like you said are some structural changes, some some changes for us to like figure out a way to live to be, to live better together. It's unity really is the only right answer.
0: And recognizing that not everybody you know is on the same starting line That's that right. so many of us, myself included, you know had tremendous advantages and we have to we have to reckon with that and we've got to you know create um social systems that provide greater opportunity for people that you know aren't didn't you know weren't blessed with what I was blessed with right. you know growing up and we need to address that we need to address the you know the 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 wealth inequality that's there's so many problems right so i guess what i'm saying is is you know how do we it's not a simple matter of like just comport yourself better like we have no. systemic problems that we have to solve and and so to be outraged at the outrage is not the solution either
1: no but you know the, the the i guess the biggest problem with the outrage uh level that we have to me is it's not that's outrage is not a path towards solving those problems right Ultimately, you know, it's
0: an understandable reaction, but understand. ultimately, right. it's not a path to solution.
1: It might be a path to to garnering some sort of political power that can put you into onto the path of actually making the change, though. Mm. So, you know, we're done with outrage for a little while. <laughs> you think? Well. well, I don't know. You st- <laughs> you just. St- <laughs> You, spe- a, you a, speak
0: I, too soon, my I, friend.
1: I, I, I would I, not. I'm fueled by rage. Far, okay, it's right. okay, but I'm I'm just tired of the, the familiar the familiar mm. tune. Um, all right, let's move over to Redondo Beach. This is an out of box out of the box question for you.
0: It is a little bit.
1: I know. How do you how do you feel about it? Well, we're going to play it first, right? Oh, that's right. It's pretty pretty exciting, folks.
2: Hi, Rich and Adam. Um, this is Madeline. I live in Redondo Beach, and this is okay to play on your podcast. Um, I just have a question about romance. Um, I recently went through a big breakup. I was living with my boyfriend, and I had to make kind of a life shift. And so now I'm dating again. I've been going on the apps, and it's kind of hard to find someone with a similar mindset. Um, I've been a vegan for eleven years. I'm a longtime listener of Rich's podcast, and My ex was an Ironman athlete. And so because of that relationship, I got really into endurance running and I ran my first marathon last year. Anyway, going through the app, swiping through, I try to look for pictures of runners, but they're just not coming up. I don't know if it's because it's LA and I'm getting a lot of actors or so on. And I was just wondering if you guys had some advice of where to find these guys. It's also kind of hard with COVID. Um, because I can't really like join a running club right now. But anyways, thought this could be a fun question to answer on your podcast. Love the show. Um, Thanks so much, bye.
0: Wow, well, thanks, Madeline. It is a fun question. It is a very fun question. And it it, it brings up all kinds of emotions in me because on the one hand, let's face it, I am a de facto relationship expert, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) by pure dint of being in a relationship for 22 years. All I had to do is be in a relationship for a long time. And now I'm a a relationship expert. You're an expert, but the thing is you're an expert
1: (laughs) expert of your relationship. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) this is true. On the other hand, I have no idea how to give advice on dating. I haven't dated in decades, particularly dating advice in a pandemic or anything having to do with dating apps because I've never been on a dating app in were my you a, entire life. Were you a
1: serial dater?
0: No, I, I'm the guy who goes from relationship to relationship. Okay. I've never been able to date like multiple people at the same time. I don't no. know how people do that. So essentially I'm, I'm very ill-equipped uh, to help you out here. Uh, and, and one of my kind of core things is that I always root any advice that I give on Based, based, you know, I base it on my personal experience. Right. So I have no personal experience with dating apps, trying to date in a pandemic, no, or having to date, you know, in any recent decade. So no, so you dated since with that, the, since I, the you know, I feel like like <laughs> DK or Davey should sit here because they Davey? know well much more about this than I do. Um, but I will say this, um, you know, obviously, the instinct to connect with like-minded people is a good instinct. Um, and that's certainly compromised in a situation in which personal, personal uh, interaction is so compromised. Um, and 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 I can say generally that that I think there's a lot of good in dating apps and helping people figure out how to connect with people that are like-minded to them. Um, but they're not an effective stand-in for what is or 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 is not real. Like I, no. I have friends that are on. Raya, have you ever seen Raya? No. And and people put What's like, Raya. They spend like tens of thousands of dollars on like 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 basically these show reels to you know, basically sh- <laughs> you know like it's it's crazy what goes into like creating profiles on this on this app so that people can look.
1: Is Raya like, like the high life. end one? That yeah, you yeah, have yeah. To, yeah, It's be like, like a cool. crazy
0: high. end yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to get invited on and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, I have a friend who's been. Um, digitally dating somebody for weeks um, that he had never met. They spent like countless hours on FaceTime and texting and stuff like that. Oh. And then they finally met in person the other, the other day. And uh, he was like, he knew immediately that he didn't wanna date her. But even though he was like <laughs> enamored with this person on FaceTime for umpteen hours, the so minute weird. that he met her, he was like, yeah, this is not gonna work. Wow. Which I thought was a really interesting, um, Testament to the you know the um, fallibility of 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 trying to interact
1: with somebody digitally. That or he needs to run the four by four forty eight.
0: Maybe he does. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there are no running clubs right now because of the pandemic. But what you can do is you can still go running, and you can go running where people go running. Even though the clubs have canceled their their get together, and you can, you can do like digital networking can, in
1: those clubs, like Facebook groups. Yeah, you can do stuff. all of that, yeah. and
0: you can trust in chance encounters and double down on your you know analog experiences. Mm-hmm. But I also think because we're being restricted from interacting with people in this moment, that it's a unique opportunity to do the work on yourself that maybe you have been reluctant to to date in the sense that um, you reconfigure your focus rather than chasing a mate or trying to find that person that you think is gonna make your life better, that'll make you feel better or fill some hole. Instead, try to work on becoming the person that your ideal mate would want to be with. Mm. And I think when you shift that focus in that manner, you in turn over time become like this magnet who then attracts the right person to you as opposed to being the person who's out there fishing or chasing all of the time. So it's like a power differential and it's kind of a spiritual equation. But I think it's I think it it's it works and it's effective. Like I just know so many people are it's like they're unhappy in their lives. They're like, if I just could date this person, if I could just find this person, like my life would be better. But they don't have with that person they aspire to be with they don't have the qualities that that person would find attractive mm, right mm. and they think that that person is going to complete them when right. in truth you have to become complete yourself right right and when you can focus on that on that personal growth trajectory that you're on you become this more attractive person to the mate that you seek or the world more broadly
1: yeah that's great advice. Um, you know, going on the apps is overfishing, mm. and tuning into yourself is sustainable fishing.
0: <laughs> is that? Let me think about that. <laughs>
1: that's my. That's my. That's my overfishing.
0: Tuning into yourself <laughs> is sustainable fishing. Yes, you tune is into yourself. Is that the title become, of this podcast you episode? Become,
1: you become tune into yourself. You become the sustainably elusive, fish your soul. You become the fish they all chase. All right. I can live with that, Yeah, I got it. I like that one. I don't
0: know if I, that was very helpful to Madeline, but.
1: Well, it's disappointing because no one wants to be told, just tune into yourself and forget about right. dating. Because you, when you've, you're out of a relationship- But I don't have the kind of
0: answer like, oh, you should call this number or go to this website and here's where all the people are hanging out
1: secretly. No, well, there are those secret parties though.
0: I know there are. There was an article <laughs> in the LA Times about the
1: secret gyms. Yeah. Did you see that? No, I, I saw the secret parties one.
0: Um, yeah, I saw that too. But yeah. there was one about like, people who've set up gyms in their garages and okay. there's like a whole underground network of where, because all the hardcore fanatic gym rats needed a place to go on all the gyms closed. And so they're like speakeasies, right? right? Like but you gotta you know somebody easy. and a password That's and right. then you
1: can get into this That's place, what these parties like. are.
0: Right, exactly. And like
1: and like the parties are getting shut down then Garcetti shut down like the power to some of these houses. Oh he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. They had it all done. Yeah. But so um, maybe
0: I don't know, Madeline. I don't have the I don't have the pass password for any of these eyes wide shut, you know, running <laughs> speakeasy situations. <laughs> they probably exist somewhere.
1: They probably do. You don't want to go. Right. Um, but you know, you're gonna be all right. That's a fun question. You're obviously a fun person that's gonna be And you
0: live in like, Redondo like, Beach. Yeah go run on the Strand, go run up to Manhattan Beach and back. There's so many people out there. Exactly. I'm sure that you can find somebody. And I'm not
1: saying avoid actors, but avoid actors. Yeah,
0: that that's <laughs> definitely, I love that. I'm getting a lot of actors on the yeah. apps.
1: I think if I had to go on, if I ever was single and I had to go on the apps again, I would like, my bio would be like, says the wrong thing in mixed company or. <laughs>
0: Well, there's a lot of tongue in cheek with that too. Right, Again, right. I'm speaking out of school because I don't know. It's all anecdotal. I went from I was on the ads for dating. like
1: about five minutes,
0: <laughs> and yeah. it was
1: so bad. Like I met one person, and they they didn't look anything like their picture, and I got traumatized and I couldn't go. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go right. analog.
0: You know what I say to that? Okay, boomer. <laughs> good. You know what's funny? That's a good one. <laughs> and then we'll pivot to the last question. Yeah. Um, and I think there was an article in The Atlantic about this, but we were talking about it at dinner the other night. In this whole conversation around Gen Y and Gen and uh, and Gen Z and Millennials and how like Gen Z doesn't like the millennials and like right. the, all zoomers the kind and of the like boomers. Right. The zoomers and the boomers and all of that. Yeah. No mention of Gen X. That's how we like which it. Which is my generation. We're stealth. we're stealth. I know. Fully stealth. We're stealth. Slacker. We'll never mo- have a president. we're too slacker to even participate in that cultural discussion. Well listen.
1: The the Gen Xers, we don't want cancel culture because it's just like we wanted to be like the iconoclastic culture, like the iconoclastic generation. Like we we liked people that said the wrong thing. Mm. We 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 kind of like we liked punk rock and things like that. And now that's turning out that our tastes and like pop culture and it didn't save the world. So now we're gonna have to seed the stage to people who have better ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like... Right, but why
0: does Gen X get lost in this conversation? I, th- I feel like we just get lumped in as boomers.
1: Now we're getting lumped in because boomers.
0: Because everybody who's not, if you're Gen Z, anybody who's not Gen Z and maybe slightly millennial is a boomer.
1: There's that great overheard LA uh, thing on Instagram where it was like uh, overheard in a coffee shop, um, okay, boomer. And then the parent, the daughter said, okay, boomer. And the parents said something like, I'm not a boomer, honey, I'm Gen X. Okay, boomer.
0: Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It yeah, doesn't matter, it doesn't we're lumped matter. in. It doesn't matter. We're, just, we're boomers. So. Which is too bad yeah, right. because
1: I, I share my, the skepticism of boomers is well, well documented. Right, and yeah. boomers are nothing like Gen X. No, they had, they, they, they had the summer of love. We had the AIDS epidemic.
0: It's basically just a way of saying you're clueless. Being a boomer? Well, okay, boomer just means like you're, you're, you've tapped out, like time to seed the stage.
1: Old man. We don't have to see the stage yet. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you want Gen X to be factored into these discussions. I like Gen X being ignored. You like it being ignored. I like being ignored. Right. Yeah, surprise them from the side. It probably is better that way.
0: But I don't like being accused of being a boomer.
1: You know Who does? That's Mm. like like being a Karen. (laughs) Is it that bad? (laughs) It's just that bad. All right. All right, here we go. Uh, We digress. Final question. Elizabeth from, Nanaimo, British Columbia. My friend Justin Chatwin's from there.
3: Hi, Rich. Hi, Adam. My name is Elizabeth, and I am in Nanaimo, British Columbia. Firstly, I want to say how much I enjoy your roll-on conversations. Rich, I also want to thank you for providing a platform to educate and challenge listeners to expand their perspectives and their awareness. I credit you with encouraging me to consider a plant-based lifestyle for myself and also through your guests and your own perspective. I've made that change in my own life to great benefits. I'm really interested in getting your perspective on leadership. Something I value and treasure about your podcast and perspective is your self-awareness and your willingness to examine yourself in your life. I'm curious what your perspective is on leadership. How do you show up to lead your team? Do you have any advice for spiritual, self-aware individuals that value doing the work on themselves? on how to show up in a professional setting and or perhaps ideas on how to blend self-awareness and personal growth with leadership and encourage your t- team to do the same. Please feel free to play this. Thank you both for listening and wishing you all the very best.
0: What a cool question, Elizabeth. Um, thank you for that. I don't know if anybody's ever really asked me about leadership before. It, it is, it's fascinating, I will admit, that uh, I haven't spent a lot of time pondering leadership and and probably less time studying it over the years. Um, but I have started thinking about it a little bit more and shouldering this mantle more recently because I now employ people, which is something I never thought would happen. Mm. So I guess I would I would launch into this response by saying I'm a reluctant leader. I don't consider myself a thought leader or a leader of teams. I think of myself as a solopreneur, somebody who relishes quiet alone time. I'm fundamentally a writer in disposition and always kind of consider myself suited to doing my own thing and wanting to be left alone. I mean, that's still my greatest desire is just to be left alone, right? Yes. But I recognize that (laughs) I've created this situation (laughs) that places me now in the context of having to lead much more than I would have ever wanted or realized. And with the growth of the podcast, like I said, I have people that I employ now, I am a boss. I'm a
1: subcontractor, you don't employ me. You
0: are, you're not, (laughs) yes, you don't report to me. (laughs) I'll W-9 you. Um, I am a boss though, which is weird. And I admit it's a little bit uncomfortable for me, but it's forced me to kind of wrestle with some growth stuff uh, because, what I say, how I say it, and, and and more importantly, like what I do, how I comport myself, how I handle myself matters to other people in my immediate orbit. And so I have started kind of thinking about these issues um, in a more meaningful way recently. Um, I won't say that I have any kind of specific philosophy of leadership, but I do have a few touchstones. And and many of those, I have to say, I credit um, To my business partner Greg Anzalone, like I've learned so much from this guy. I just think he's an exemplary human being and leader. Greg Mm. is the CEO of Sideshow, Sideshow Collectibles. Um, That's really, you know, what he like. He's my business partner, but really his business is Sideshow, which makes limited edition collectible figures from pop culture, like all the Star Wars stuff and Marvel stuff. Like these limited runs of like beautiful, um, you know, the the Baby Yoda is Mm -hmm. their product, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And um, Greg is somebody I've come to, to really deeply admire and, and respect as, as one of the most effective and compassionate leaders that I've ever met. Mm. Uh, and somebody who in so many ways mimics the findings and the research of, of Adam Grant, mm-hmm. who's the guy in the podcast this week, a guy who studied leadership deeply for, for many, many years. And, and so some of those touchstones are, and this is coming from Greg, it's about the people, not the product that the employees come before the widget, right? Like the organization is, is set up not to make widgets, but to empower people's lives with meaning and purpose. Um, I've learned that uh, it's wise to approach every situation with a giving mindset. It's not about what you uh, can get out of a situation, but how you can better support the people beneath you Um, I've learned that it's about action and behavior. What you say is important, but that must be aligned with your actions, which obviously speak louder than words. And if your actions are misaligned with your words, then you faltered. So I think that's been super helpful to me. Um, I'm a perfectionist. So learning that progress is better than perfection is a a lesson hard wrought for myself, Mm. something that I'm getting used to because your perfectionism might help you create something that will get you to a certain level. But if you wanna create largesse in a sustainable way, you have to empower the people around you. And those people have their own ways of doing things. and, And that's not always gonna meet up with how you would do things. So holding on too tightly to your ideas, I think becomes an inhibitor to growth. So learning how to let go and empower other people. I think is super important. I think anticipating the needs of the people that you work with is really powerful, like creating solutions to problems before they arise, because you can see where things are are headed before they even get there. Um, one of the things I've seen Greg do is just surprise and delight the people that work underneath him and alongside him by showing up in ways that others in, a position of leadership don't because they're thinking about themselves. Mm. And Greg's always thinking about other people and he'll just show up and do the thing that nobody would have ever expected. Mm. And sometimes they're big gestures and sometimes they're little gestures, but they're always very meaningful. Like Greg will, will, um, you know, find housing for an employee or do something that like a CEO or a person in a position of leadership just wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think that they would be thinking about the people who work beneath them in such a meaningful way. And that's been, you know, really kind of amazing to see him do that time and time again, and has impacted me. Um, I think in terms of leadership, thinking about how to play the long game is super important. Um, not over indexing for short-term profitability or productivity, but rather thinking broadly about creating and establishing sustainable systems that allow people to flourish and do their best work, not in a highly pressurized environment, but giving them a little bit of bandwidth um, so that they can um, feel secure in their expression, I think is huge. Um, Adam has this great quote, Adam Grant, which is the most meaningful way to succeed is to help others succeed. Mm. And it seems simple, but I think it's powerful to not perceive the world as some kind of zero sum equation, but to look at things from a broader, more spiritual perspective, that the universe is infinitely abundant. So with that, give freely of yourself and service to others. And not only does that come back in your direction tenfold, it engenders amazing trust and loyalty in the people that that you
1: work with. See, we're back to the Taoist philosophy. I mean, that's really the whole like the middle way is the Taoist philosophy is, um, if 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 the few have much and the many have little, that's totally completely anti the way the like the 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 nature of the Tao, mm. and the idea is to. Uh, is to have everyone sharing the abundance, and so like the fact that that you're citing that as a driving philosophy for your business bodes well for your business. If countries worked out that way, like you know in Scandinavia, countries who have a expanded social safety net and are able to, um, you know, yes. The taxes might be higher to have healthcare and public education at a high level and X, Y, and Z. But if you actually look at everyone's bank account, everyone has more money. Mm. The rich and the lower mm-hmm. lower working class and the middle class. There is no mm-hmm. lower class. And so if you look at it that way, everyone does better when there's enough for everyone. Mm. And and the way we have it in our mind is, well, if I have to pay this, it's less for me. You know, that person should get. Should get more themselves, you know. Right. But that's just not how it works, you know. If everyone did better, everyone would do better. It's very simple. But unfortunately, you know, we do have a leadership vac. I I love this question because we have a leadership vacuum in this world right now. There's not a lot of effective leaders you can point to that are getting the job done on a on a global or national level. There's a few that we we sometimes identify, but it's hard. And I think the great leadership, everything's like the best leaders. It's all happening local people's homes and people's businesses. Yeah. And and uh and I think Greg's amazing. It's it's been so cool to meet him and learn from him. So, well said. Yeah,
0: 100%. And just and and having a moral compass yeah. and having your actions aligned with that perspective, right? Like isn't that what leadership is? It's not it's not just, you know, bending to whatever is in your self-interest in the moment, which seems to be the hallmark of current times, That's but right. rather, you know, Uh, heeding a greater call and being willing to sacrifice yourself first in the interest of that. And I think when you demonstrate that as a leader, um, that's very powerful for the people that are following you.
1: Agreed, well said. We did it, dude. We got to the end.
0: Right on, how do you feel?
1: I feel good, man, I feel uh, lighter. And also Mm. like that I have to be a little more introspective as I approach this weekend of hell (laughs) awaiting me. You
0: do, you got some work to do for yourself. (laughs) On the subject of feeling good, we should say that um, our buddies, Giorgio and Arthur uh, and their Feels Good Man documentary did not make the Oscar shortlist. Mm -hmm. I'm sad to say, Yeah. Uh, but if you have yet to check out that movie, please uh, go to Apple Plus and make a point of watching it and let's support those guys. We need more cool, indie filmmakers out there Yeah. their work should be celebrated.
1: How do you feel, Rich?
0: I feel good, man. Um, I feel good. I love talking to you, man. This was super fun. And uh, it was nice to kind of pivot back to more of my sweet spot in terms core. of things I like to talk about. Yeah, Yeah, there was no, you know, giant social political explosion this week that forced us to focus on something that is a little bit outside of, you know, what are the, the things that I, that I enjoy most talking about?
1: Hopefully this is the new normal where we don't have we'll to see. pay attention. Like I
0: said, just stop it right there. <laughs> you know, we'll see. We're taking it day by day, yeah, my yeah. friend.
1: It is 2021. Cool. All
0: right, let's wrap it up. Um, thank you, Adam. Always a delight thank s- you. to share space with you. You can follow Adam at Adam Skolnick on Twitter and Instagram. You can leave us a message at 424-235-4626. As always, check the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com where you can dive deeper into all the things we talked about today. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all the good places. Again, we created a clips channel on YouTube. So if you like short chunks, um, you can check that out. Links in the show notes and in the description below if you're watching this on YouTube or you can just search Rich Roll Podcast Clips on YouTube. Um, What else? I think that's it, man. I appreciate everybody Yeah, thanks who worked for hard the... to put on today's show.
1: Yeah, and thanks for all the calls guys, all the questions, yeah, appreciate we really that. appreciate it.
0: I wanna thank Greg Anzalone for his leadership. Yes, as Greg. As always. Uh, Jason Camiolo for audio engineering production, show notes and interstitial music. Blake Curtis for handling video duties. Jessica Miranda for graphics. David Greenberg for his beautiful portraits. Georgia Whaley for copywriting, DK who is in the house right now Decode. for advertiser relationships and theme music as always by my boys, Tyler Trapper and Harry. Appreciate the love of you guys. See you back here in a couple days with another amazing episode. Until then, peace, plants.
1: Namaste.